everyone. Welcome to another episode of NGI's Hub and Flow. I'm Letitia Gonzalez, Price and Markets Editor here at NGI. It's been a couple of months since we've discussed gas market fundamentals here on Hub and Flow. And with the summer season about a month away, I figured now was a good time to share with you a snapshot of some of the things that we're watching on the supply and demand front that should make for a very interesting gas market this summer. At NGI, we believe that transparent markets empower businesses, economies, and communities, and we work to provide natural gas transparency, fundamentals, and key insights for North America. This podcast is a part of our efforts. If you haven't already, I encourage you all to subscribe to Hub and Flow. And at the end of this podcast, I also ask that you rate the podcast and spread the word about us. For more information about any of the topics discussed in this podcast, you can visit natgasintel.com and explore our various product offerings, including our daily gas price index, forward look, and LNG insight. Now, without further ado, let's dive into some of the driving forces that we see developing in the natural gas market this summer. So first, let's talk about supply. Lower 48 production is currently running a little bit below 90 BCF per day after being above that level earlier this month. Most of that decline is a function of pipeline and possibly some field maintenance taking place. Appalachia, for example, they've experienced quite a few maintenance events since April, including one taking place this month on Texas Eastern Transmission. Now, of course, these are temporary events, and what everybody really wants to know is what kind of production growth can we expect to see later this year, if any at all. The EIA, for its part, said in the near term, the gas market can expect to see production fall from May to June. This is being led by decreases in the Anadarko and Appalachia basins, and also in the Bakken, Eagleford, and Niobrara shales. In fact, we only see the Permian and Haynesville seeing any growth in June. The Haynesville is expected to increase by 118 mmcf per day, and the Permian is set to rise by 59 mmcf per day, and that's according to the EIA. Now, longer term, the EIA expects dry gas production here in the United States to average 91.1 bcf per day for 2021. This is 0.3% lower year over year, but interestingly, it's quite a bit improved from what analysts were expecting a year ago. A year ago, you know, we were a couple of months into the COVID-19 pandemic and analysts were expecting production in 2021 to fall by more than two BCF per day. Of course, this higher price environment that we're in now has resulted in some producers modestly raising their output growth targets. At the same time, we've seen a sharp decline in the number of drilled but uncompleted wells, or ducks as they are known, in key U.S. basins. The EIA said the overall backlog across Seven key onshore regions declined by 241 from March to April. And so we're now sitting below 7,000 as far as ducks across the U.S. Now, the Permian, that region had the largest backlog to begin with. They posted the largest month-over-month decline. So now its duck total is now under 3,000. 
I should mention the latest EIA production forecast. Again, it's projecting a 91.1 BCF per day production in 2021. This does take into account a rise to 92 BCF per day in the fourth quarter of this year. And then that really sets the pace for average production of 93.1 BCF per day in 2022. Nevertheless, so we're seeing some modest growth, but we're not going to see this rampant production growth just for growth's sake this year. Producers have repeatedly committed to holding production generally flat and using their cash flow to pay down debt, strengthen their balance sheets, and ultimately return capital to investors. You've also got some pipeline constraints developing in Appalachia that also could keep growth in check in that region. So switching gears to demand, this for me is where it actually gets very interesting for the gas market. This is being driven primarily by export demand. A year ago, as I mentioned, we were, you know, really starting to get into the thick of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we saw economies across the world really shut down, stay-at-home mandates were in place, and we saw a substantial decline in demand for gas. Chenier, for example, they had just come off a solid first quarter, but they were also reporting that gas demand in Europe's six main gas markets had declined for the year over year during the quarter. Of course, this was a precursor to what we eventually saw play out through the summer, and that was anywhere from 175 to 200 US LNG cargo cancellations, not just from Chenier's terminals. This was across the country. And at the lowest point in the summer, we saw feed gas demand to those U.S. terminals sink below 2 BCF per day. Fast forward to today, though, and it's quite a different story. Feed gas demand to U.S. facilities has remained strong even after the winter season. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, it seems that old man winter is really having a hard time saying goodbye overseas. Late season cold has continued across Asia and Europe well into April and even into early May. And so that's driven up demand and stalled the much needed replenishment of storage inventories in those regions. We've also seen supply outages. Outages in Norway, Australia, and Russia are really plaguing LNG supplies, but ultimately that has boded well for U.S. exports. Feed gas demand to U.S. terminals hit close to 12 BCF per day in March and have generally remained around 11 BCF per day or so ever since that time. Now, we have seen some pullbacks to around 10 BCF per day on some days, but like the dips in production, these dips in feed gas demands are typically tied to maintenance taking place at the various LNG facilities here in the United States. I should also mention that some of the continuing strength that we've seen in U.S. LNG demand is because of higher carbon prices. So this has incentivized more coal to gas switching overseas. Now, what all of this has led to is a sharp deficit in storage inventories in Europe and to a lesser extent, Asia. Inventories were already tracking below historical levels at the end of winter, but rather than starting to increase once the traditional injection season got 
underway. Deficits have actually expanded thanks to that lingering cold and the supply outages. So, for example, here in the third week of May, storage inventories in Europe are sitting only at about 33% full. And so it's this steep climb in inventories that Europe is going to have to mount here ahead of next winter that we see driving a lot of the momentum for continued strength in U.S. LNG export demand this summer. In fact, Morgan Stanley this week raised its full year 2021 forecast for the Japan-Korea marker price to $8.75 per MMBTU. Now, this is up over a dollar over their previous forecast of $7.50. They also raised their tidal transfer facility price forecast by 15% to $6.60 per MMBTU. Now, both of these benchmarks are far above U.S. Henry Hub prices, which are averaging a little bit more than $3 for the rest of the year, according to the NYMEX futures curve. So it's not just LNG exports, though, that are firing on all cylinders. We've got exports to Mexico via pipeline that have also come in a lot stronger than I think a lot of people had thought we'd see at this point in the year. Back in April, exports flowing south of the border to Mexico hit a record high of 7.1 BCF per day, which that's very notable because Mexican demand typically peaks in the dead of summer. So we're talking July, August time frame. And for us to hit that record already, it's just kind of, to me, a precursor of what we may see this summer. Now, pipeline exports to Mexico have come off a little bit. Off those highs, our friends over at Wood McKinsey are showing exports averaging around 6.2 BCF per day so far in May. But if you include the gas that we're sending to Mexico via LNG, then exports are actually around 6.7 BCF per day. And there's no signs of slowing. We've got the completion of the Via de Reyes pipeline expected later this year. And of course, we're seeing a continued economic recovery amid the COVID-19 pandemic in Mexico. So again, huge positive signs for the U.S. gas market on the export front. But what about weather-driven demand? We know that weather reigns king here in the gas market. So what can we expect this summer when it comes to cooling demand? Don't let the slow start to the summer season fool you. While we haven't really seen much widespread summer heat so far this year, most forecasters are calling for above average heat this summer. Now, the core of that heat is expected to be concentrated from the West Coast over to Texas, but the East Coast is also expected to get its fair share of hot weather this summer which of course means that our own gas usage will be strong. This may keep U.S. storage from seeing some of the huge triple-digit builds that we saw last summer. I don't remember quite yet if we've had a triple-digit build so far, but we have seen some below-average builds here recently. Today, as of May 14th, U.S. storage stood at 2,100 BCF. Now, this is 391 BCF below last year's levels at this time, and 87 BCF below the five-year average. 
notably the South Central region. Now, this is where all of the export demand is concentrated and where much of the summer heat is expected. That region is already tracking about 70 BCF below the five-year average. So what does this all mean for prices? Well, this week, we finally saw NYMEX futures break out of their recent trading range. The June contract shot up to $3.15 on May 17th. Some of those weather models started signaling that hot weather would eventually arrive over on the East Coast. However, that rally proved to be short-lived. Prices tumbled back below $3 once, once the weather models backed off that heat, and I feel like the rally was really overdone. We did see some heat come in the forecast, but it wasn't enough to really for me to incentivize that that sharp rally. So prices have come back off. We're back below $3. But I think it's really important to point out that all it took was that one quick warm change in the forecast to move this market in a meaningful way. Bulls, they're practically salivating, waiting for the perfect time to pounce on this market. And the heat is coming. We are going to get that first taste of it next week in the East. And though it's been a little bit rainy and even a little bit cool down here in Texas where I am, make no mistake that before the end of the month, the heat and the humidity will be back and it will develop and we'll be back to running our ACs at full blast. Of course, we also have hurricanes to consider. The meteorological team over at Colorado State University is predicting four major hurricanes to develop during the Atlantic hurricane season. That runs from June 1st here in a couple of weeks through the end of November. Now for the Gulf Coast, the team expects a 44% chance of the region taking a direct hit from a category three through five storm. There's also a 45% chance for the East Coast. Now, I realize that hurricanes don't quite have the same effect on supply as they once did, but they can take a huge toll on demand. And we saw that last year when Hurricane Laura took offline the Cameron LNG facility for a prolonged period. It also cuts into residential demand because obviously temperatures just aren't quite as hot as they normally are during the summer when you've got a hurricane blowing through. So definitely a lot of variables playing out in the gas market that could drive some volatility, volatility that we really just haven't seen in this market in quite a while. And of course, we'll be all tracking it for you. On behalf of NGI, I'd like to thank you all for listening to today's episode of Hub and Flow. I wish you good health and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you.